As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, folks, it's Joe Lowry here. Before myself and the rest of the TSS gang get to our Eurogroup E preview, I wanted to give you a quick Poland-related update. I spent some time in this episode talking about one of their forwards, Arkadiusz Milik, who I thought was going to be an important player at this tournament. Well, bad news is just after we'd finished recording this episode, Poland released that he will not be participating in this tournament due to a knee injury. He was withdrawn from that roster. So unfortunate news for Poland. He will not be replaced, at least according to the latest reporting. So Poland have taken that attacking hit. Robert Lewandowski is going to have to find himself another striker to combine with. Now, with that update out of the way, on to the show. to the Total Soccer Show. Thank you for downloading this audio guide to Group E of Euro 2020. My name is Ryan Bailey, and on this episode, I am joined by the reigning CONCACAF Nations League world champion, Taylor <laughs> Rockwell. Woo! That's right, I did it. It was me and me alone. Uh, I am celebrating that victory. I will not be buying the commemorative shirt. I would like to find the one that has Mexico on it because I'm obsessed with finding the... The merchandise that was made for the losing team, if they had won. Uh, but until I can find that one, I will just enjoy Christian Pulisic scoring penalties. So you should. So you should, Tay-Tay. It was a wild night. Goals, VAR, mm-hmm. missed penalties, extra time winners and saves. Kate Abdo doing her English accent. It was lots and lots of drama <laughs> in Mile High City on the broadcast. And, uh, and Clint Dempsey looking pretty fine as well, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I, he he brings a looseness to that broadcast that is very clearly he has gotten notes and cares a not for your notes. Him destroying a Gucci Anyebu for having a calculator alongside all of his notes was also a terrific moment. Uh, I enjoyed Clint Dempsey almost as much as I enjoyed the game, and that is only slightly hyperbolic. 
the the calculator burn was lessened. He did the boop boop beep boop very good, but not actually hitting the buttons yeah. when he was doing it. I, I noticed, but uh, but very good stuff. That was a, a good studio performance, as it was a good performance on the field. Joining Taylor and I is a man who is as comfortable breaking down the USMNT as he is providing Eurogroup E spin. It's Joe Lowry. That didn't rhyme as well as I hoped it did, Joe. <laughs> Ryan, we can't expect you to rhyme everything, right? I think that would be a little too much. You'd be you'd be too close to Dr. Seuss territory, which I'm fine with, but I just don't want you to think that your only value is in rhyming. Well, most of most of my self confidence and value comes from rhyming. I thought USMNT <laughs> and Group E would have better cadence than it did. That's okay. So I apologize for that, Joe. Sometimes you got to say these things out loud. Well, Ryan, you win some, you win some, you lose some, and, and you <laughs> lost that one, but that's okay. We're also um, world champion of the CONCACAF Nations League, by the way, so congratulations to you too, uh, Joe. And I will say, if uh, anyone wants to catch up on what happened on that game, uh, there are two TSS podcasts on that. The uh, Quick Takes one, which was done on Sunday night, uh, Taylor um, recording his from his uh, red-eye flight, it sounded like, <laughs> and, um, and, a, and a longer-form one, which has come out as well. So I do recommend you take uh, a listen to those. Uh, Taylor, was it, were you on the red-eye, by the way? Uh, it, so it turns out when you're recording from home, maybe it's better to try to set up the mic as opposed to record from the AirPods. The only saving grace is that I didn't record from uh, our front porch, which I've done in the past, but tends to have cars and buses going by at all hours. So even at 1 a.m. last night, it probably still would have been even noisier. Oh, it was AirPods. I thought it was a just a potato you were using, but it sounded. <laughs> I, I, we, we got the point though. It was, it I was tried really that, good. but the potato sounded too good. I really wanted to get the gritty, tinny sort of uh, approach to things while screaming in my kitchen and trying not to wake the baby at the same time. That is very important. I know the experience of trying to keep quiet from my recent episode in the library, and I appreciate you uh, putting that episode out. Certainly, I was talking uh, about was... Graham Ruffin, by the way, just to be clear, when I said I didn't want to wake the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speak of the devil and he shall appear. We're rounding this show out with a man whose excitement is palpable at seeing his nation in a major tournament for the latest and final time in his lifetime. Graham, how are you? Oh, that, that, that's, a, that's a painful one, Ryan. I, I, that June the 18th game at Wembley cannot come quickly enough. And if it goes the wrong way, you'll never hear from me again uh, if England win that one. How are, how are you, Ryan? I'm very good, Graham. But just to be clear, I'm, I'm quite confident you're going to live a long and healthy life. I'm not saying anything to the contrary there, but this will probably be the last time you see Scotland in a major tournament. Uh, womp womp. <laughs> Ryan, why do you have to kill my buzz like that? I'm looking forward to first time in 23 years, Monday, a week today, Scotland will have won their first game against Czech Republic and you have to bring me down. England will be on the verge of drawing against Croatia. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Graham, it's, the reason is I love the narrative. I'm a big fan of narrative and I'm, a, I'm setting myself up for a fall because England are going to probably fail at this tournament and Scotland will probably go through ahead of them so that's uh, that I'm just setting out for the sake of narrative for entertainment for everybody out there it's it's not you it's me okay okay I'll take a word from it I'm, I'm just reeling from the fact that apparently CONCAF has one of those nations leagues as well I didn't they're, they're spreading across the world no, no one really knows their purpose or what they're for but it seems like every confederation's got one now it's, Graham, a, Graham. it's a pandemic of nations leagues isn't it yeah Graham, what's the number one reason why FIFA does anything? Um, I don't know. It's for Corruption. obviously for the benefit of growing. The, just kidding. It's money. It's money. It's always money. Money is always yeah. the answer. 
I was trying to come up with another reason and couldn't. <laughs> nice lunches and money, I think, is about it. Yeah, f- free food. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we are going slightly off topic. Uh, we are covering Group E of Euro 2020 in our penultimate group uh, preview on Total Soccer Show here. Uh, four teams we're going to be looking at. Uh, Taylor is going to be dealing with the team with the second most Frenchman in defence behind France. <laughs> Hopefully they're going to show up for this tournament. It's Spain Taylor. Looking forward to that? Absolutely. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting Spain team. It's a Spain team that I feel like people try to write off a little bit. I, I would not go that far. All right. Graham Rutherford is sadly probably not going to be using the words Latin or Ibrahimovic when talking about his team, Sweden. Sad-faced, Graham? Um, not that sad. My... <laughs> My my my, my uh, unpopular opinion is uh, a tournament that Zlatan is a better tournament. It's just got a bit tedious, but I'll go into that a bit later on. It's oh, it's boy. it's not pers- actually it is personal. Yeah, I was going to say it's not personal, but it is it is personal Zlatan. If you're listening, sorry. Well, I'm very much that. looking forward to uh, hearing more about your feud with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Graham, as we progress. <laughs> it's a very one-sided feud. <laughs> uh, Poland is going to be covered by Joe Lowry. Fun fact about your team, Joe. Um, in the German language, Po means the butt or the buttocks. So in Germany, Poland is Butland. Can Butland <laughs> cause a stink yeah. in this group? What do you think? Oh, that's that's so good. That okay. I'm not gonna lie. I really like my obscure fact at the end of this, so I'm not willing to say that <laughs> Butlin should overtake the one I've got. But it it might be better, Ryan. I think I think Butlin's gonna be very strong at this tournament. But we can talk more about that later when I actually call them Poland again. There we go. That's why they bring me in, Joe, for that kind of uh, wit and retort that I <laughs> Ryan, have. Ryan, may I hear that one more time? What was that? So the the word po in uh-huh. German po is your butt, yeah, or your 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 booty. So Poland is Butland in German. So Jack Butland can just never go to Germany then? <laughs> well, they think he's Polish. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. It's fine. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes, Ryan, you know, sometimes, Ryan, I get like slightly anxious about which way you're going to throw the links, <laughs> and I'm just really glad that I didn't get Poland, Poland as Butland <laughs> to react to. <laughs> What can I say? I'm in a weird mood today, gentlemen. I apologize. Uh, and I'll be rounding out this group with Slovakia. Uh, I've actually shaved a nice tall mohawk in preparation for talking about Marek Hamsik. <laughs> and I'm very old, just like Marek Hamsik as well. So uh, I'm in good stead to cover Slovakia. This is Group E, of course. Uh, uh, Spain are one of the hosts of this tournament. Uh, they'll be playing their games in Seville, uh, which is where Sevilla and almost all Champions League knockout games take place. Uh, the other host of this group is St. Petersburg, the Gazprom Arena, home of Zenit St. Petersburg and vast natural gas wealth. Tete, why don't we start things off with the three-time winners of this tournament, Spain. I'd love to, if you'd indulge me, hear their nickname, how they got here, a little bit of info about their coach and how they play and whether or not they're all going to show up. I, I shall do my best. Yes, uh, La Roja, La Foria Roja. Those feel like nicknames that maybe they get called, but again, are more so nicknames for people to use in print when they have run out of ways to say Spain creatively. Then the nickname comes in. Uh, Spain got here by finishing top of their group, Group F in qualifying, uh, ahead of Sweden, Norway, Romania, the Faroe Islands, and mighty Malta. Uh, along the way, Spain did not lose. They did have two draws, eight wins, 31 goals for, and five against. So a strong performance, as you may have noted from a lot of those teams I just listed in that group. Not a ton of like juggernaut talent, uh, should we say. Sweden will be in the Euros, so there's that. But then you look at some of their results, like the 6-0 drubbing of Germany, and you do get the sense that though this is a Spain team that are 
in a sort of in between a slight rebuild stage, they are still uh, very, very strong. Uh, and a big reason for that would be manager Luis Enrique. We do not have any uncertainty. We don't have any Lopetegui taking a job, getting fired. Who's taking over? We don't really know. It's Luis Enrique. He will be there and he has a lot of talent at his disposal. None of that talent coming from Real Madrid, as we've talked about on this show before. But what we will have is a 4-3-3, not surprisingly, given the, the Barcelona influence. We will have a lot of possession. We will have some counterpressing, but we will have mostly Spain keeping the ball uh, and using that possession as a way to almost defend, which is the kind of hallmark of the tiki-taka Barcelonas. Um, but they can also be a bit more direct. They have speed. Adama Traore is in this team. Ferran Torres is in this team. They can certainly cause you some problems if they want to play on the break. So there are a variety of attacking assets that Luis Enrique will deploy. The question remains how many of them will be COVID-free uh, because there was a positive test for Sergio Busquets. Uh, having played in the friendly against Portugal, the question now is were other players impacted both for Spain and for Portugal? Spain are in an isolation period. Replacement players have been called in in case they are needed. So we will just have to wait and see. And we will probably have to update as we get closer to Spain's first game of the tournament. Oh boy, that's the situation which might make this podcast invalid very quickly. So let's hope we get this published <laughs> soon, gentlemen. Um, Taylor, we're not really, uh, we don't really refer to this Spain team in this, uh, in this tournament as a favourite. I certainly haven't seen them spoken as among the very favourites. Is that justified? Um, well, I think it's probably justified because when you look at the Spain roster, it's not it's still very good, obviously. I mean, there are four Manchester City players on there, which is always a sign. If Man City are buying your players, they're usually spending some money. That means they're probably good. But there isn't that sort of like, oh, all, all of those names are, are well known across the board. Certainly they have a lot of known names, but it's not that Javi Busquets, Iniesta uh, situation. You don't have uh, Fernando Torres up top or David Villa or sort of those kind of marquee names. Instead, they're likely to have, say, Avaro Morata starting for them. Maybe Gerardo Moreno if Morata isn't performing, which is sometimes the case. It'll likely be Ferran Torres and Dani Olmo. Not trying to jump the gun on the, gun on the lineup, but I think you don't have that sort of like, oh, wow, every single name on this team plays for Barcelona and Real Madrid, so they're definitely the favorites. I think that's why there's a little bit less attention about them. There's a little bit less hype about them. But to some extent, I think that serves Spain well because they tend to be slow starters in major tournaments. That's always the kind of knock against them, and it's how they respond to it that is important. But I think this team has enough... Talent certainly has enough talent, but has a manager who knows what he's doing, has been there for long enough to have familiarity with the squad, has flexibility in what he wants to do. I, I would say they are a favorite for me, if not a clear favorite. And, and what is that still the case, Taylor, if the manager is fired one or two days before the tournament starts? Then things change. It gets a little bit different at that point. Then then maybe I have more concerns. I would say that's probably not the best case scenario <laughs> for Spain. It would be even be worse now than it was in 2018. Yeah, that indeed being the case for the 2018 World Cup. As a little reminder, thank you very much for that, Taylor. Let's move on to Sweden. Graham Ruthven, tell us a bit about them, their nickname, how they got here, uh, their coach, and how they do things on that rectangle of grass. Yes, uh, Sweden, their nickname is, and I'm probably going to absolutely uh, murder this, but Blue Gult, which is... Uh, the Blue and Yellow, which is another one of those nicknames that I'm pretty sure their fans probably don't call them by that name very often. Um, but Sweden come into this 
tournament having reached the, the quarterfinals of the, the 2018 World Cup of course three years ago they they lost to uh, some other country I can't quite remember who that was uh, Ryan um, a lucky country that made a deep run into the tournament despite not having the talent to <laughs> get there but um, Graham, no, Graham's trash talking is so much more polite than Ryan's <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean uh, yeah you might have an idea who I'm talking about anyway enough about them Uh <laughs> They've enjoyed a, they enjoyed a solid qualification campaign. They finished second behind Spain, as Taylor referenced. Uh, one defeat in ten games, so that gives you an idea of they are quite difficult to to play against. Um, one name I should probably mention already. He will come up later in the discussion, but is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He came out of retirement before this tournament and then picked up an injury and he won't be at this tournament. But the reason I'm mentioning that now is because Sweden's form after a qualification was a big reason why Jan Andersson, the manager, why he was willing to to welcome back Ibrahimovic into the national team. The two of them had actually been in a little bit of a, a war of words. Um, Ibrahimovic having not some uh, some not very nice things to say about the manager, the manager hitting back that they were better off without uh, Zlatan. But yeah, the, their form was, was pretty poor. They struggled in the Nations League. They won twice. Uh, won just tw- two games in 2020, which I know nobody played many games in 2020, but still poor form. They have not that inconsistency, inconsistency on the head at the start of this year. Three straight wins to uh, start the World Cup qualification campaign. So they do have a little bit of momentum coming into this tournament. As I mentioned uh, there, their manager is Jan Andersson. He's been in charge of Sweden since 2006, uh, eh, sorry, 2016 and led the country to their first World Cup in 12 years by making it to 2018 in uh, Russia. And f- for that tournament, they eliminated the Netherlands and Italy in, in, in qualifying. So that just that's just another thing to prove that there is quite a bit of pedigree about this, this Sweden team, even if they are a little bit of an aging squad there are some there is there's a bit of balance there are some young players coming through um they did well in the nations league in the first nations league nations league 1 and they they went in promos- promotion to league 8 and then they were rele- relegated back to league b so that kind of shows they're kind of i think they're stuck between those two levels they're they're a little bit of a yo-yo team in nation league's term where they're not maybe top tier but they're they're at the top level of of the second tier um this has been a bit of a, in terms of their style of play, this has been a little bit of a common theme in a lot of our previews, but defensive resolution is what got them to the quarterfinals of the World Cup three years ago. Seems to be quite common for for international teams. After that tournament, Anderson was actually under quite a bit of pressure to make Sweden a more expansive, modern side, and he did momentarily adopt a more attacking style, but... That shift didn't last very long after Sweden suffered defeats to France, Portugal and Croatia in the Nations League. And so since then, Anderson's gone back to what he knows best. And we should expect a more defensive approach from them at the Euros. He tends to favour a classic 4-4-2, pretty orthodox system. Uh, two centre-backs, the full-backs are the ones that provide width and midfield, two anchoring central uh, midfielders and then two wingers to, funnily enough, provide some some width. And this is where Sebastian Larsson, uh, yep, he's still kicking around. He's 36 year old now. Uh, he could play a role in this team. And then in attack, it looks likely that, that Anderson will uh, have a, a front two, not necessarily an orthodox front two, but probably I'll, I'll mention a little bit later, Alexander Izak, um, who I'm a big fan of as the orthodox number nine. And then uh, Kulosevsky of, of Juventus, kind of 
serve as a secondary forward who fills the space ar- around him. And I, I would have been, I, I been interested as much as uh, Zlatan isn't my favourite, as I have given a little hint uh, already in this podcast, I would have been interested to see how Anderson would get Isaac and Ibrahimovic into the same team as a front two, because that seems like it might be a little awkward to fit them both in. So in a, in a sense, Anderson might actually be quite, quite relieved that, that Ibrahimovic isn't at this tournament. I want to I want to jump in here quickly. This isn't a question for you, Graham, but I've talked about on our Euro previews before just how effective I think styles like the one Sweden's become known for can be in tournament play. I remember they were effective with that four four two at the twenty eighteen World Cup. It's just so hard to break teams down defensively. That's hard all the time, but it's really hard to do that in international soccer. And I think a team like Sweden who has this defined largely defensive identity. They're very well equipped, very well set up to not only be a problem in this group, but I think even to advance out of this group and, and be a problem in the knockout rounds of this tournament. Yeah, I think they definitely have the the, the structure to do that. And and it, the, one of the things that has, is, I think, most encouraging for Sweden is that it's pretty much, I know I mentioned that Anderson after the 2018 World Cup was under pressure a little bit to change his system and he did and he didn't really get the results. It's pretty much been a consistent style and even a lot of the, the same players, I mentioned Larsson there, Sebastian Larsson, but it's, it's, it's that consistency that I think will make Sweden look. I don't think they're going to be the most entertaining team to watch, but it wouldn't surprise me if they, they just like in 2018, make a, a pretty good mark in this tournament. Well, that does feel like a common theme, as you mentioned, uh, Graham, of, of, of teams in this tournament who may be setting up a bit more defensively, who may not be the most uh, expansive and entertaining. But as we've seen in recent tournaments, as we saw in the last Euro tournament, it is the more defensively resolute teams who who can poop their poop house their way to uh, a title here. It doesn't it doesn't pay to be Brazil necessarily all the time or peak Brazil, I should say. Um, Joe, let's hear a bit about Poland. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Let me say that again. Joe, let's hear a bit more about Butland and uh, their <laughs> nickname. Uh, I, I, although not the nickname I just gave them, how they got here, their coach, their style of play. Uh, tell us more about Lewandowski and Co. You got it, Ryan. So I got a couple nicknames here. Bialo Cervoni, which is the white and reds, given that they weigh, given that they wear white and red on their jerseys. And then the Orlni, which is the Eagles, uh, in Polish. I don't know if either one of those names get tossed around in circulation by anybody, but there you go. Poland got here by finishing first in their Euro qualifying group ahead of Austria, North Macedonia, Slovenia, Israel, and Latvia. So you have a couple of other teams from that group that, that advanced to the Euros that we've talked about on past previews shows. Now this, talking about their coach and their style, this is where it gets interesting for Poland because they have a new manager, uh, Paulo Sosa, 50-year-old Portuguese manager who previously coached at Fiorentina and, and Basel and Bordeaux and a number of other teams as well. He took over this team in January of 2021. So he's been in charge for just about six months now. Uh, the previous coach had been fired by the Polish FA, who didn't really give a reason behind that. But uh, it couldn't have something to do with a fractured relationship with Robert Lewandowski, uh, or it could also have something to do with the fact that Poland failed to beat the Netherlands and Italy in the Nations League towards the end of 2020. But either way, this is Paulo Sosa's team now. He's coached Poland in just four games so far. A, a win, two draws, and one loss. That's a 3-3 draw with Hungary, and a 3-0 a three win over Andorra, and then a loss to England 2-1 and a 1-1 draw with Russia. So this is, this is a team that we still don't know a ton about right now because, again, Sosa's been in charge for just four games. But I've gone back. I've watched the film formation-wise. It's been mostly a three at the back shape, usually a 3-5-2, but we've also seen a 3-4-1-2. So just flipping the midfield triangle there and having a double pivot with a number 10. It's been Robert Lewandowski and 
uh, Arcadius Milik up top, usually in that shape. And it, it fits those strikers well, having someone to play off of, having someone who can drop deeper into midfield and provide an, another number in those central areas. Poland's a team who can do things with the ball, but they're not a ball-dominant team, if that makes sense. They will control possession. They have against teams like Hungary and Andorra, but they, they can also play more defensive against uh, Giants and the favorites in this tournament, like England they played recently, 36% possession in that game. I would expect Poland to control possession uh, against everybody in this group but Spain. I think Spain will dominate possession, and Poland will sit back in a, in a deeper 5-3-2 kind of block like they did against England. So I think Poland has this this shape and general personnel that they rely on, but it, it wouldn't shock me, like I'm saying, to see their tactical approach vary slightly from game to game. Thank you very much, Joe. You mentioned Milik there. Am I, I, it, was, it was either the World Cup or the last Euros where he did his ACL and um, was out of proceedings. With him and Lewandowski involved, are we expecting a lot more potency up top? Yeah, they have. I mean, even just in Robert Lewandowski, you, you even set Milik aside for a minute. They have, if not the most reliable number nine in this tournament, one of the most reliable number nines in this tournament. I mean, he just broke Gerd Müller's scoring record in the Bundesliga with 41 goals for Bayern Munich. He he is the player that every single team in this tournament are going to be keyed in on. And then you you partner him with Milik and you allow Lewandowski to to have another striker next to him that's also drawing attention from center backs. Poland have attacking talent. Even just with that front two, they have the ability to break teams down and to use uh, use those two number nines to get on the ball in the box in dangerous spots and score goals. So yeah, Poland's not going to be an easy game. They have some attacking firepower for sure. Thank you very much, Joe. I'm just Googling. I think he did actually play in both those tournaments. Maybe I was mistaken, but I know he did do his ACL Ryan, and, um, and was out for a while. Ryan, while you do your Googling and trying to figure that out. Joe, I have, I have like what, what might be a rude question, but I'm going to ask anyway. Like, <laughs> when you say we don't know enough about Poland, like looking at those results and looking at the teams they're playing where they are sort of getting results, I, I'm asking, is that a nice way of saying you don't think they will be that good at this tournament? Or, or are you genuinely saying like there are so many unknowns about this squad that it's tough to say how this competition goes for them? Yeah, no, I think Poland have a chance to get out of this group for okay. sure. I think they could be, I think they could be very dangerous in this group. It's just with, with such a small sample size, I mean, four games, 360 plus minutes, that's not a lot of time. And yeah, Poland have a pretty established squad. So there's not a ton of personnel wrinkles necessarily, but I'm always hesitant when a new coach comes in. I want to give them time to watch what they do. And so that's why I want to say it's typically been a 3-4-1-2 or a 3-5-2. I'm not guaranteeing that we'll see that just because Sosa hasn't had a ton of time to imprint what he wants to do tactically on this team just yet. All right. That makes sense. I think I'm asking from the perspective of like Poland tend to be a team that I get pretty hyped about when we talk about them when it comes to international competitions. And I think it's a lot of it has to do with Milik and Lewandowski. And then they don't always end up performing. They don't always end up being that exciting of a team. And I think I'm also remembering, I think it was Poland who sort of gamed the system to like rise in the FIFA rankings by refusing to play friendlies uh, so that they like they never lost points when they would lose friendlies. Uh, so I think those two things combined have me like maybe a little bit more skeptical of Poland than I probably should be. So I look forward to them uh, proving me wrong and winning the whole thing. Let's get it done. Don't knock the FIFA rankings hustle, Taylor. Don't knock the FIFA <laughs> rankings hustle. It's quite a system to game, isn't it? Because there's not much to actually gain from gaming that system, right? I think they got they got into the pot one seeds for the World oh, Cup, maybe, because right. they had done that. They had gone up the rankings because they weren't playing friendlies for that deliberate reason. It was either Poland or Switzerland, but I think it was Poland. 
Yeah, playing 4D chess, I guess. Uh-huh. There we go. All right, well, this is the moment we've all been waiting for in this Group E preview. The team you've been yeah. waiting to hear plenty about. Slovakia, of course. Uh, nicknamed uh, the Sokoli, which apparently, uh, according to Wikipedia, means the Falcons. But I just spoke recently, I spoke this morning with my friend who lives in Bratislava, who says it doesn't necessarily mean Falcons. It can mean a hawk. It can mean a kestrel. It means a big, scary bird. And you see it on a lot of their sort of imposing, communist-looking um, uh, crests that they have in Slovakia. Uh, so they played as the Slovak Republic until 1945. They all rolled into Czechoslovakia after that. They're one of the newer nations uh, in, in international soccer, in fact. They played their first game as Slovakia in 1994 against Dubai in the UAE. What a wonderful um, uh, birth into the world of international soccer that was for them. They are 36 in the FIFA rankings. That makes them the lowest ranked in this group. They didn't game the system like Poland, evidently. Uh, this is their third major tournament appearance. They were at the 2010 World Cup, where you may remember they beat Italy very famously. They were knocked out in, in the knockout stages uh, by Holland. Uh, and in Euro 2016, they got out of the group uh, which featured England and Wales. Uh, Russia finished bottom of that group. Then they lost to Germany. It was 3-0, if I remember, uh, in the Euro 2016 round of uh 16. That's right, isn't it? Yes. Their opener is against Poland, which is a very big game. Now, this is one I thought would be a huge rivalry for them. They do share quite a big border with Poland. But once again, referring back to my friend who I had a conversation with, not a big rival. So uh, I'm surprised that that's not the case because uh, we know how nations feel when they share a border. Right, Graham? Hmm? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, they'll hope to uh, get some points in that game. Uh, they'll also hope to get some points in their second game against Sweden. How did they get here in qualifying? They were third in Group E behind Croatia and Wales. That put them into the playoffs via the Nations League. They were the playoff path B winner. Please don't ask me to explain how that all worked again because it was incredibly complicated. Hey, Ryan, you do need will you do me a favor real quick? Yeah. Uh, will you explain how that all worked real quick? Thanks. No, and they uh, beat <laughs> Ireland and Northern Ireland in the uh, playoff path to uh, to go through. That's all you need to know, Tay Tay. Uh, they they, uh, they are in not great form at the moment. They've won one of their last six games. Uh, it was a qualifier against Russia, though. Uh, they are ranked, according to the bookmakers, gents, as one of the weakest teams in the tournament. You can get about plus 15,000 on them to win it, which is longer than Leicester to win the Premier League, so to say. They are a plus 1,300 to beat Spain in their game, which is pretty long for a two-sided contest, I would say. So that's a bit of context about the faith that uh, soccer is putting in this team. Uh, their coach is Stefan Tarkovic. He was appointed between those two games, the ones against Ireland and Northern Ireland. So he came in just before that playoff final game against Northern Ireland. He led them to an extra time win in that game. That was November 2020. It's not that long ago. He's only had a handful of games in charge of this team. So Tarkovic has managed a bunch of Slovak teams. He was part of the coaching staff uh, for Slovakia for Euro 2016. So it's it, apparently it's a, viewed as quite a daring move from the Slovak FA to uh, put him in charge. Slovakia style or lack thereof. Um, they have a couple of systems that Tarkovic uh, likes to play. Uh, he'll either play a 4-1-4-1, which kind of reverts into a midfield five. Or more recently, they've been playing a 4 2 Um, When I I spoke to my uh, Bratislava friend, he was saying basically it's a similar sort of style and setup to what you might expect Greece to have done, maybe Greece of of, of 2000 and and thereafter. Quite defensive, which is uh, evidently a theme at this tournament. They'll probably have one up top. Mikhail Duris will probably be the the first person up top. He's 32 years old, so not a spring chicken. You'll have uh, Marek Hamzik and uh, Juraj Kuka and Stanislav Lobotka uh, across the midfield. Uh, Lobotka, who you'll know, um, who went to 
Napoli uh, last year, Slovakia's most expensive footballer in their history. He is. Um, so that's that's about it for Slovakia. And I apologize for butchering any names there. I once, um, for the aforementioned friend, I was his best man at his Slovakian wedding, and I gave half the speech in Slovakian, but I can barely pronounce any of these names. I apologize <laughs> for that. Ryan, how sad are you to not have Martin Skirtle in the equation? Martin, yeah, it feels weird not to have him, but... I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I don't, I don't know exactly how old he is now, but it doesn't feel like he's out of the age range given the age of some of the other players <laughs> in this team, which I will get to uh, shortly. Marek Hamzik, by the way, is turning 34 next month. He's one of the older players. They've got a 36-year-old defender as well. So, yeah, it is, it is sad, but at least Hamzik's there for, uh, for uh, nostalgia's sake, for early 2000s, mid-2000s, nostalgia's sake, Tay-Tay. Uh, how much information, Ryan, like, are you going to have about Vladimir Weiss? Because I have two things I would like to say about him before we move on. Go ahead. Uh, I didn't know if this was stepping on your, your trivia, but the one that I'm sure will be repeated at some point is that I think both his father and grandfather uh, represented the national team. I think his grandfather representing Czechoslovakia, but I think his dad also coached them at one point. So there's three generations there, but... If you go to his Wikipedia, it, it gets real interesting real fast because in the controversy section, yes, there is an entire section, uh, oh the headers would be nightclub visit, fast food incident, damaged hotel, alcohol night drive, Jan Kozak's resignation incident, and the final one, end of national team career, which is interesting <laughs> given that he is currently playing for the national team. I'm not one to judge a book by its cover, Tate, but if I do take a look at him and maybe his uh, his demeanour on the field, I do see nightclub visit, fast food incident, damaged hotel, alcohol night drive. I, I can see that uh, sort of thing from him, if I'm honest. Oh, Vladimir. Oh, Vladimir. Oh, Vladimir, indeed. Well, that's a little quick pre-see of these four teams. We're going to get further into it after these short messages. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking Group E of Euro 2020. Let's turn our attentions, Taylor Rockingwell, to yes, Spain. Sir. Their key players, maybe some breakouts, as Dave Grohl once screamed over and over again in 1999. That is a reference for many people. I am not one of them. Why did Dave Grohl yell breakouts? Oh, he had a song called Breakout. <laughs> you know you made me break out. I don't know why I went there. Sorry. 
between Dave Grohl and basketball, I feel like we've lost uh, our, our co-hosts uh, on this recording. <laughs> you left Graham and I so far back behind. We're just playing uh, tic-tac-toe at this point over the internet. Heavily. Uh, well, while you all play tic-tac-toe, I'm going to say Luis Enrique is going to be playing some chess with his team uh, because he has a lot of names and a lot of talent. As I said, Spain will very likely be in a 4-3-3 uh, with the sort of like lone number six and then... Like number eight slash number tens ahead of him. Uh, in defense, you will most likely have Jordi Alba at left back. It could be Jose Gaia, but I think Sid Lowe tweeted today that Jordi Alba will be the captain of this team, which seemed to be met with some negativity by specifically Barcelona fans. So I don't know if Jordi Alba doesn't have a leadership reputation, but that's an interesting thing that I wasn't able to find out much more about. Uh, with your center backs, you again have tons of options. Uh, most likely would be Manchester City's Eric Garcia and Manchester City's for now, I'm Rick Laporte, who is eligible to play for Spain and will be going to this tournament. Maybe Pau Torres is in there, maybe Diego Lorente. Although maybe the idea would be that, uh, Luis Enrique does not want a bunch of Llorentes in his team and is starting 11 so he doesn't get confused because the current utility man of choice, Marcos Llorente, is likely to start at right back for Spain, uh, much as he does for Atletico Madrid, even while sometimes starting at right wing or left wing or center midfield or left midfield. Marcos Llorente will be a right back for Spain. Uh, so uh, interesting to keep an eye on how he does. Could be Cesar Azpilicueta otherwise. Ahead of them, likely Sergio Busquets, if he recovers from COVID, if he's able to play. If not, uh, Rodri would be the other name that could start at the number six spot. Both of them have done that for for club and country. Then with your midfielders, tends to be Koke and Tiago. Uh, Tiago, who can do no wrong and never has, so never will. Uh, Fabian Ruiz has the passing range that can be substituted in or start some games. And then Pedri, uh, the youngster from Barcelona, can, can be brought into that midfield as well. And then further forward, a likely front three of Dani Olmo, Alvaro Morata, and Ferran Torres. Again, you don't have that, like, like, oh, that name and that name and that name. Spain aren't that quite at that level, I would say, but the names they do have bring such quality and skill that I do think they will be a very strong team. And in terms of the key players for them with all those players I mentioned, I would say the ones to keep an eye on for me would be Ferran Torres, who I also, it's tough to say anybody in Spain could really be a breakout player because so many of them are already playing for such big clubs, Ferran Torres chief amongst them. But at 21 years of age, six goals and 11 appearances, tends to start on that right wing and is right-footed, can also play on the left wing and cut inside. But I think for his technical ability and how he fits that 4-3-3 system, but then also the speed he does have, that he can be a direct threat as well, he will be very important to what Spain want to do. Tiago certainly will be as the sort of passing metronome, making sure we have our tight passing angles and Spain are able to keep possession. And then uh, their goalkeeper, who I would say is the other candidate for breakout player because it is not likely to be David De Gea. It is likely to be Unai Simon, the 23-year-old goalkeeper for Athletic Bilbao. Uh, and the main idea there would be not that like uh, that David De Gea isn't having a good time, though there are arguments to be made. It's simply that Unai Simon tends to have better distribution, and that is the thing that Luis Enrique wants. I didn't know much about Unai Simon. I've read about him uh, in the Guardian's profile. They've profiled every single player that will be at the Euros. 
Here's the quick quote about him. When Kepa Aritzabalaga was sold to Chelsea in the summer of 2018, Iago uh, Eren, his deputy, happened to be injured and Athletic were forced to turn to uh, temporarily to Simeon, who was then just 21 and had to recall him from loan at Elche. They threw him into the team. It worked out. And now here we are. Uh, so he won't be that sort of veteran leading from the back goalkeeper that Spain have had in other tournaments, but he will be uh, good in distribution. Is now, I think I said he was 23, but I think he's now just turned 24. Four. So is another potential player who could make a move because uh, with uh, he is currently at Bilbao, as I said. So that could be another big move for him to a bigger club if he has a strong competition. So another key player to keep an eye on for Spain. I, I, uh, I don't know if anyone watched the Portugal friendly, but Unai Simon had a shaky game, shall we say? Yeah, with, uh, yeah, it's a lot. Of, I know he's in the team. You're mm. absolutely spot on, and everything you say there, Taylor, about he's in the team for his distribution. Um, but I'm not totally convinced his distribution is all that much better than David De Gea's. Yeah. Um, and it feels like he's got a mistake in him. There was one I can't remember who it was. It might have been Renato Sanchez. He actually like smashed the ball straight at Renato Sanchez yeah. uh, or whoever it was in the Portugal team and he got very lucky that it didn't end up in his own net so uh, I wouldn't be surprised you're absolutely you're totally right he will start the first game because that's who Enrique's number one is but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a mistake in there and De Gea somehow ends up in the team for later in the tournament I wasn't willing to go as far as De Gea will end up being the starter but I'm with you that there will be one of those moments of like I don't know if that's good like even if Spain are winning he comes out to collect a cross and spills it and even, and even if it doesn't lead to a goal it does seem like he has those moments where even if you're feeling confident something happens and then there's always that little worrying question mark in the back of your head so I'm hoping he silences his own doubt and and those critics and and does have a strong performance but you're right Graham that there are uh, areas of vulnerability and again that's kind of the case for this whole team because you have young players coming through you don't have Sergio Ramos starting yes you have Sergio Busquets but you don't have those names I mentioned earlier like say Andres Iniesta in there so there's still veteran know-how and leadership and Koke will certainly pull that team along if need be but it's just it's an it's a less proven Spain team than maybe people are used to seeing. Uh, I think they will still have a strong competition, and in this group, I think they will be uh, able to get out with with some ease. At least they're not in sort of a group of death situation, which we're going to talk about uh, with our final group. But I, I do think that there are reasons for optimism for Spain, but then also reasons for concern. And I think they will have some some games that are closer than maybe would have been expected on paper. Yeah, very interesting one for Spain. I will be interested to see how much of a role Americ Laporte plays, Taylor. Mm-hmm. But one final question for me. Uh, Tiago, you mentioned him and his metronomic skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know if the Spanish um, media and the Spanish fans have tedious arguments about how he's not right for the team like Liverpool fans do? <laughs> I mean, I think the the Spanish fans on the whole probably do because they, I think, are debating every aspect of this national team. I don't think there are... Like a ton of obvious consensus. Yes, that guy is definitely the one. I think that's maybe part of the reason why Jordi Alba is that captain, because at left back, at least we know it should be Jordi Alba. But should it be Avaro Morata starting? Is that the player that they're going to kind no. of roll the dice with? <laughs> I don't know who said no, but they are correct. No, that, that, was, that was me. <laughs> Again, that Portugal friendly, Morata yeah. had an absolute Timo Werner of a game. Um, he got and... some booze. Yes, he did. Yeah. On home soil from his own fans. Yes, he is not a a beloved player necessarily for Spain. And I, and I think that that is sort of consistent throughout this team. Oh, boy. Thank you very much for that, Tay-Tay. Uh, Graham, I turn to you in Sweden and their key man. 
Yes, yeah, so the the guy I'm going to pick out straight from the start, I've already mentioned him once, is Alexander Izak. Sorry, screwed up his name a little bit there. But with uh, Ibrahimovic out injured for the tournament um, after coming out of retirement, it's going to be on the Real Sociedad, Real Sociedad striker to deliver the goals for Sweden. I'm a massive fan of his. He's got better and better since he's gone to Sostad, to Real Sostad, he was at Borussia Dortmund and was actually billed a little bit as the, the news Latan Ibrahimovic. He struggled to live up to that, to that expectation at Dortmund, despite the fact, obviously, they've got a great reputation for harnessing young players. It didn't work out from there. He's gone to Sostad and, as I say, last season, he looked good. He had a really good breakout game in the Copa del Rey at the Bernabeu where he scored he, he knocked Real Madrid out and then this season he's just built on that scored 16 goals for La Real this season so I think this really could be I don't want to say he's going to be a breakout player because I, I think he's already known by a lot of a, a, a lot of fans and, and he's obviously playing at a high level but I, I do think this tournament given that he's not playing in the Champions League for Real Sociedad I think this could be a stage for him to really show how good he is Um I've referenced it a few times. I promise it'll be the last time I mention it. I am personally pleased that Ibrahimovic can't play at this tournament. Not that I wish ill on the guy in terms of his injury, but I just feel like this team needs to move on a little bit. And I feel like they had moved on a little bit when they made it to the, the quarterfinals of the last World Cup. And I just, I just feel like that this team, uh, Anderson has got this team working without him. And it might have been a little bit of a backward step. I think sometimes if you look at, the, the, the LA Galaxy and even I think the season he was at Manchester United the teams sometimes play to him rather than playing to their own strengths and so I I, I think Sweden might be a, a better rounded team without him um, another key player would be Kulisevsky who had a little bit of a, a difficult season for Juventus struggled for consistency but he's shown glimpses of his of his brilliance he's a he's a really good dribbler um, and has the ability to get past an opponent with with pace and and skill, and he's got really good balance as well. Another person I would mention would be Emil uh, Forsberg. He was brilliant in Sweden's uh, last warm up game against Armenia on on Sunday. He likes to to drift into space uh, out wide where he can pick up the ball and and, and cut inside. So he's a, he's another key player as well. And then at the back, it'll be up to Victor Lindelof to anchor things for Sweden and, and central defence. I can almost hear Taylor breaking out in a cold sweat <laughs> at that sentence, but he does tend to show a little bit more leadership for his country than than he does. For his club, I guess for Manchester United, he has Harry Maguire alongside him to be a little bit of, more of a, a vocal leader. But for Sweden, it's all him. And I do think maybe Manchester United fans might see a slightly different side to uh, to, to Lindelof this summer. And if I had to mention a, a breakout player, no, I, I said he's out there, but I'm not having him as my, my breakout player. It would be Jordan Larson. So you might recognise that name. No, he's not the son of Sebastian Larson in the, in the same squad, uh, <sighs> although just about old, uh, just about young enough to be, but he is the son of Henrik Larson, 23 no year old son of Henrik Larson, who is making quite the name for himself at Spartak Moscow, scored 15 goals in 32 games. This season, um, he's been linked a lot with, with, uh, Borussia Dortmund this summer. Being in Scotland, a lot of Celtic fans like to think that he might come to them, but I, I think maybe a couple seasons ago they might have got him, but now he's out of their, 
their their uh, their price range. But he's he has impressed in the Russian league and the in the Europa League this season. I do wonder he might not get much game time. Um, that could be an issue. But if he does get onto the pitch, he is a he's a really talented player. Um, and I think he the next few years for him could be quite big, and this could be the start of something for him at this tournament. Graham. Is is his career likely to be determined by whether or not he goes with uh, blonde dreads? Because I feel like the lack of blonde <laughs> dreads is a problem for him so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, Casper Schmeichel pretty much looks like his dad. Right? So I think it would this be rude of Jordan Larson <laughs> not to deliberately uh, imitate his dad. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's fair. I did not know that was his son. That's really exciting. I am actually excited for Lindelof uh, with Sweden because I do think he's... He is the sort of player when I've seen him with Sweden before that like if if he is the man and his teammates are looking to him to be that sort of main figure, I think he rises to the occasion uh when he is getting doubt and maybe isn't the 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 key figure, then he literally doesn't rise to the occasion and isn't good in the air. Uh so it, what he does with with Sweden will be I think uh pretty exciting for Man United fans. I'd agree with you. That said, uh, if he starts at the expense of Andreas Gronkvist, then I will be very upset because Gronkvist <laughs> is one of my favorite players from the 2018 World Cup. He's 36 now. He posted a meme about himself in a wheelchair being too old for the team when he was named to the squad. I love Andreas Gronkvist. <laughs> yeah, and and the thing is about this squad, it, it is quite an old squad in, yeah. in places. I mentioned, obviously, Larson, uh, Grankvist, you mentioned there. Mikhail Lustig is in the squad. Marcus Berg is in this squad. I, I mean, players that I honestly, I mean, excuse my ignorance, but I, I could not have told you. Uh, where Marcus Berg is, was, was playing football or, or, or what he's doing. He's, he's at IFK, uh, Gothenburg, by the way. But yeah, they, they do have some young players. They've got some players in their peak like Lindelof, but there is definitely, it feels like quite an aging squad. And if Ibrahimovic had been there, even more so. <laughs> oh boy. Marcus Berg at Krasnodar, my notes tell me. Graham Rutherford, by the way. And well, also, the athletic is lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know what, sir? I'm, I'm feeling very upset by that because Henrik Larsson uh, is 50 years old this year, and that makes me feel ancient. They will not be blonde dreads anymore, Taylor. They'll very much be grey dreads on Henrik Larsson's head. God bless him. Uh, thank you very much for that. They will Graham. always be blonde dreads, Ryan. Always. In, in, your, in our hearts. They'll be blonde dreads in our hearts. Um, Joe with the Poe. Let's go. Oh, yeah, baby. It's my time to shine. And I'm going to use all of that time to talk about uh, the Chicago Fire's very own Premislav Frankowski, who is the most important player on this Butlin team. No, that's that's not true. But he is he's a nice little player and he, he does some things for Chicago when they can actually do things in Major League <laughs> Soccer. Anyway, he will not be a key player for them, although he will be at this tournament. Let's start with Robert Lewandowski. As I said before, I don't need to spend much time on him, but I, I did notice a pattern when he and Milik are up top together. Those are obviously both very important players for Poland. A lot of times, it's Milik who's dropping in, and, and Lewandowski who's staying high to pin the center backs back. And so that allows Milik a little extra time to turn and then drive forward and then can get Lewandowski on the ball in the box. So as you're watching Poland in this tournament, both both you gentlemen and then all the listeners as well, keep an eye out for Milik dropping in, Lewandowski staying high, look for them to interchange, but then also look for Milik to play the ball wide to a wing back, a uh, Premyslav Frankowski, if you will, not going to play. Anyway, look for them to play the ball wide and then get the ball into Lewandowski in the box. That's certainly an attacking pattern to be looking out for. And then deeper in midfield, Zagosh Krakowiak, a player I think a lot of folks out there will be familiar with, formerly of PSG, I believe now plays for Lokomotiv Moscow in Russia. He's the central defensive midfielder. 
he is their their metronome and their destroyer defensively. He plays as the number six when it's a three-man midfield with, with two number eights in front of him, or he plays as the deeper central midfielder in a double pivot. He runs that midfield, not as mobile as he used to be. Now he's 31, but he can still win the ball back at a high level and can break lines with his passing, especially that strong right foot. So he's certainly a midfielder to be watching out for. And then Peter Zielinski as well, central midfielder from Napoli. Well, not from Napoli, but plays for Napoli. 27 years old, had eight goals and 10 assists for Napoli this season in Serie A. He outperformed his XG and XA but still an impressive uh, an impressive output from him. But I, I guess I'm more interested in what he does a little bit deeper down the field. He creates shots for his teammates with progressive passes, but he also really likes to drive the ball forward on the dribble. He, he'll get on the ball a little bit deeper and then step higher with it, almost like what we see Yunus Musa do for Valencia when he's not on the bench or with the U.S. men's national team. He's that kind of progressive dribbler. And then when he is playing as that number 10, as he does occasionally for Sosa and Poland, he is the creative force and he does pull some of the strings higher up the field. Defensively, we're likely to see Jan Bednarek, who plays for Southampton, and Camille Glick, who plays for Benevento in Serie A, in that back three somewhere. But one of my one of my breakout players, Camille Piatowski, is another guy who I think we could see in the back three at least once or twice in this group stage. Plays for RB Salzburg, just recently signed by them uh, from a team in Poland. He's 20 years old. He only has two caps, and they, they both come under Sosa so far. So he, he looks to me like he's a player that the manager likes. He's right-footed, comfortable driving the ball forward in possession, can play a nice lofted ball over the top. He's strong and sturdy defensively, not necessarily the fastest center back, but a, a guy I really like and f- largely fits that modern center back mold of, of these do-it-all center backs. The last player I want to highlight quickly is Jakob Moder, who's a central midfielder for Brighton. 22 years old, was playing in the Polish first division, and then Brighton bought him midseason for about six million pounds this past year. Only played about 600 minutes for them in the second half of the season, but has made nine caps. He's been capped by Poland nine times already. Two starts under Sosa. Right-footed, good speed, pretty strong, weak foot, active defensively. I think he's a very good complement for Krakowiak and Zielinski in this midfield. I expect those three players to be the starters in central midfield, and that is a strong trio in that part of the field. I'm kind of with Taylor in getting a bit hyped up about Poland pre-tournament. I've done this once or twice before, and that has kind of emboldened my opinion a little bit, Joe. Am I, am I, am I right to feel a bit bold by your descriptions there? I think so. I mean, I, I felt better and better about this team as I went through to preview them. I think there are weak points. Uh, some of the center backs, just the age there is a little bit of a question for me. Wing backs are not the strength of this squad, but there's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of young upcoming talent. There's a lot of established talent. And ultimately, this is so, I almost feel like Finland when I was talking about Timu Puki, but there is just this extra edge to Poland, all the more so than with Finland, for having a player of Robert Lewandowski's caliber. You cannot count Poland out, not just because of their strong midfield, some young talent at the back, and then some more established players, but you can't count Poland out because they have Robert Lewandowski. He makes this team what they are, and they're going to be a challenge to deal with in this group. He does indeed. Just imagine the TikToks he's going to produce if they go far, Joe. That's all right. <laughs> oh, no. Can't wait. No one wants to see that. I'm very confident. <laughs> but also, I kind of do. I kind of do. Yeah, I really do. Um, let's round this uh, this segment out with a little uh, touch on Slovakia and their key players. Marek Hamzik, who we've mentioned before, who I believe is at Gothenburg, if we're going to try and uh, find out where all these players are at the moment. He's 34 in July, as I mentioned. Uh, Slovakia have tended to rely on him as uh, one of their key creative outlets. Uh, he's their all-time top scorer, I believe, and he's played more games than anybody else for Slovakia as well. Whether at 34 and now playing at Gothenburg, he can still 
quite produce it like he did uh, back in those uh, Napoli days is uh, is something else. Uh, another question indeed. The other key player probably is uh, Milan Skriniar, who is, of course, uh, in a uh, centre-back at Inter Milan. Milan at Milan. He uh, just won the Scudetto. Very important for Antonio Conte's team he was. he's also He also gets up and scores occasionally. He scored in a couple of qualifiers, World Cup qualifiers lately. He scored the opener in the aforementioned game I mentioned uh, that they won against Russia back in March. He will face the aforementioned Robert Lewandowski, of course, though, so we'll see how uh, that battle plays out. The other name that uh, will probably be on the radar on most people is the goalkeeper Martin Dubravka, uh, who's, a, who's at Newcastle, has been at this season, and, uh, you know, who's a, who's a pretty good pretty good goalkeeper between the sticks. He was my fantasy goalkeeper for the past year. I'll give you that. He was very, uh, very useful for me because everybody likes to hear about my fantasy league team. I've heard that. <laughs> that, that, that tends to be the uh, case here. In terms of a breakout player, I had a, I had a tricky one trying to pick one out because... Uh, once again a theme here not a particularly young team there are 10 players in this squad who are over 30 um not least a few of those who i've already described the bravka um uh, vice as we mentioned there hamzik all over 30 a player who if we're going to look at someone and we look at when we judge a breakout player it's maybe someone who might get a big move afterwards who might go to a, a bigger league or get a, a slightly bigger platform and the player i think might just do that if anyone does on slovakia is robert bersnik who's a forward uh who plays at the moment as a number nine for Feyenoord. he's only 21 years old he's bucking the trend for this team there uh he didn't have a vintage season only one goal in 16 appearances for final this season but he's kind of one of these up-and-coming players there uh slovakia do only play one up top so it has been Mikel Duris or even Schrantz in recent games but if they want a bit of young blood and they want someone to break through uh, I'm tipping Robert Bersnick to go through which means given my seal of approval he won't <laughs> <laughs> that is how it works yes you're correct. that is pretty much how it works uh, all right it doesn't sound like there's uh, any particular questions about Slovakia so why don't we round this uh, group out after these short messages this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We're talking Group E in Euro 2020. Taylor, let's take one more look at the Spanish national team, please. Let's round it out here. Uh, Have you got any big numbers that tell us the story of this team? Uh, Maybe you can tell us if they are better off this summer than last, had this tournament not have been postponed. Uh, I think they are marginally better off. There's some debate about, say, not having Sergio Ramos, who has obviously been a big performer for both Spain and Real Madrid. And obviously the point uh, with this squad has been that there are zero Real Madrid players on the team. In fact, there are as many players from Manchester-based clubs as there are from Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid combined, which is... Surprising. Should note, four of those are Man City players, only one for Man United. Uh, and I think, Ryan, the, the, the big answer to your question of are they better off depends on who's able to play if there are positive COVID tests. Uh, my update from last I talked about this is that they've called in a U21 team for their friendly that was scheduled against Lithuania. It will be treated as an official friendly, so I guess all those players are getting caps. But then we'll see uh, what they do in terms of replacing some of uh, the names that they might need to replace, or maybe everybody will be good to go, but I think that will give us a pretty definitive answer about whether or not they're better off than they were a year ago at this point. Uh, the other things I wanted to spotlight for a second is, again, just that you do have veterans in there and even some players at like advanced ages who still don't have that many appearances. You have 10 players uh, with fewer than 10 caps. You have 16 players with fewer than 15 caps. So those are some numbers, but the one that I'm going to go with, my, my main number to keep an eye on, Spain is the only team to lose its opening game at a World Cup and then go on to win the World Cup. Every other World Cup winner has uh, won from the outset. And I say that just to say that Spain, again, have that reputation for being slow starters, but I I think as this tournament goes on, Luis Enrique is going to continue to get the best out of them. He will fine tune. He will move some things around. He will change up what was working or what wasn't working. And I really do think he has the managerial experience and intelligence and acumen and everything else you would need uh, to be able to get a result. So I think even if they do start slow, even if they don't win the group, I think they will. But even if they didn't, I would expect Spain to go pretty far in this tournament. As do we all. Thank you very much, Tate. Graham, uh, anything about Sweden? Any key numbers? Fun facts about Sweden. Let's lighten up the place. <laughs> yeah, so a, a stat that I would point to, uh, or a number, I should say, is three. And that is um, that Sweden have been knocked out in the group stage of the last three European championships. Now, that might be offset by the fact that in the, the, the last major tournament of the World Cup in 2018, they made the quarterfinals. So I'm not really sure what to read into that. Either they're going to be bad or good. Uh, and that's my analysis. And <laughs> the weirdest soccer-related fact about Sweden is that they're the only nation to lose the final of a World Cup as the host nation. Now... And um, that was in 1958 when uh, they were beaten 5-2 by Brazil. That's the game that, that, that Pelly scored twice in as, as a 17-year-old, that famous game. Um, I know what you're all thinking. I know you've all got the DVD of the 1950 World Cup uh, and you're all clued up on how that tournament went. But they were they were the runners-up in that, in that tournament as hosts uh, and they, they lost out to, to Uruguay. But 
their defeat in at the Maracanã came in. They had, the tournament had a really strange format at that time. It was a round robin group of four teams rather than an actual final. So my stat still holds up. Take that, Brazil. Um, <laughs> and are they in a better or worse position than they would have been last year? I would say marginally better. Um, I think a year ago, Emil Forsberg was was struggling with injury. Zlatan Ibrahimovic hadn't come out of international retirement. And even if he had, he had only just signed for AC, uh, AC Milan and was kind of just settling in there. And I've already explained that I think they might be better off without him. Now they have Alexander Isak and, uh, and, and Forsberg firing. And a year ago, it wasn't really clear where their next generation was coming from. And I feel that is a little bit clearer now. So I think they're better off this year. I wonder who Slatan hates more, Pep Guardiola or Graham Rutherford? Because both <laughs> seem to attack him quite a lot. Uh, just, I'm tired of the shtick, you know? Like, the, <laughs> when, when he came out of retirement, he tweeted, uh, the return of the god. And I'm just, I just think, mate, you're 39 years old. Like, grow up a little bit. Gra- Graham, so- can I throw out a, a comparison? I'm wondering what you think of it. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Madonna? Madonna-esque? A little bit? Go on. <laughs> uh, Yes. Like, I'm just saying, like, globally known name, uh, like, maybe got away with some, with some stuff at a younger age than gets away with now, but still, I think Madonna's maybe faded a little bit. Like, Madonna in the, like, mid to early 2000s is, I guess, where I'm going. Is like, maybe sort of, like, should have have, have changed it up or, or hung up the boots, but kind of persisted <laughs> yeah. with the okay. same shtick, and now here we are. Yeah, I mean, I, I will be honest, I didn't know where you were going with this analogy when you initially asked it, but yes, I can see it now. You're spot on. That is the perfect analogy. Ibrahimovic is Madonna, correct? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm glad we landed on that one. Thanks, Alice. Yeah, I'm glad we cleared that one up too. Joe, mm-hmm. uh, one last look at Poland, please. Any key numbers, any fun facts? Uh, the time march is on there a year older. Yeah, so as far as better off this year or last year, I think they're... I think they're better off this year. The margins are, are pretty small. The core of this team is the same. And even some of those guys are on the wrong side of 30. But players like Moder and, and Piotowski have emerged. And that gives me hope for this group. The coaching change also throws a wrinkle into this. But I, I've enjoyed what I've seen from Sosa's team so far. And I even think his lack of time in charge could possibly theoretically benefit Poland because opposing teams may not know exactly what to expect. There could be an opportunity for Sosa to throw a wrinkle in there. As far as a stat goes, uh, I'm again going back to Lewandowski. He has 66 goals for Poland in his international career, which is more than any other player at this tournament outside of Cristiano Ronaldo. So he is one of the highest active goal scorers in the world and, and obviously one of the highest in this region. Having that reliable goal scoring presence is a, is a huge luxury for Poland. My obscure soccer fact, and I'm proud of this. I hope I didn't hype it too much. Uh, when center back Camille Glick was at Torino in Italy in, in Serie A, Italian rapper Willy Peyote wrote and recorded an entire hip-hop song about him, and the song is just called Glick. And that, gentlemen, is the end of my Poland conversation. Uh, Willy Peyote? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know much about him, but I know that he wrote a song called Glick. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before. That's quite a handle. We I'm, need. I'm we might need an album of songs named after players because I know Casey Keller has one written after him for his performance against Brazil way back when. I'm sure there's. You could probably put together one of songs about footballers. Some are probably more celebratory. Like I'm guessing there are some nice ones about Zidane and Pele and Maradona than maybe Casey Keller. <laughs> uh, Clint Dempsey Between makes a, his own music, of course. 
Of course. Between Willie Peyote and the way that Italy announced their squad, I'm, we're learning a lot about Italian rap in the, in the past week or so. <laughs> was Willie Peyote the guy who came out with um, Floyd Mayweather in that boxing match next to him as his hype man? Maybe, maybe that was the same guy. Not sure. Anyway, very possibly, Ryan. Very possibly. <laughs> He's cl- he clearly gets around, that's for sure. Um, I'll round it out with uh, Slovakia. Uh, I'm, I'm hasten to say that they probably were better. Uh, no, I'm going to say they're better off this summer, despite the fact that they are all a year older. And uh, as I say, time marches on. They do have uh, what is uh, purported to be a better manager at the moment. They did change manager relatively recently, and they were on a bit of a downward spiral with the aforementioned. It was Pavel Hapal who was in before. Um, so I, I would suggest they are on a slight upturn and they're doing a little better relatively speaking in uh, in world cup qualifiers and so forth so i say they're in a slightly stronger position although it's pretty marginal uh, the number i'll give you is the number four that is the position they're going to finish in these groups let's be uh, let's let's face it uh, I, don't think, I don't think they're going to do much better than that uh, i'll be very surprised if they did any better than that and I, that is something that's confirmed by my aforementioned chat with my friend who lives in bratislava who um you know says said that the national mood is quite low on this team. And it was quite interesting talking to my friend here because it's, it appears that Slovakia is one of the few nations in the world, this one included, where soccer isn't the number one sport. Because he was saying the Ice Hockey World Championships have just finished up and that is dominating the news cycle at the moment in Slovakia. And uh, it's the clear number one sport there. And sort of the, the Euros haven't really... Uh, permeated the national psyche just yet um, but the feeling is that, that uh, among those who know is that there's very little expectation of this team because it's uh, not not a super strong squad uh, right. and, and as I mentioned go ahead go, just that, that might be the feeling over there the feeling over here is this friend in Bratislava is starting to have uh, like my girlfriend who lives in a different town vibes I'm just throwing <laughs> that out she goes to a different school <laughs> Taylor she goes to a different school <laughs> You don't know her. Don't worry. Don't look her up. Though. I can't you tell you her name. But she's real. She's real. I promise. Her name isn't the Guardian. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, that was good. Well, I'm just going to write a message out to my friend Fakey McFakerson, and yeah. I will tell him what you will think of him. Frankly, is his name Mister Slovakia? Because if so, Ryan, I've got more questions. His name is David Slovakia. There That's it is. Right. Yes, okay. Yes. Quite a few right. questions now. I just call him Dave. Um, <laughs> but yes, it, uh, but thank you very much to my friend. His real name is JP. He's lived in Slovakia for a decade or so. Mm-hmm. And um, it, yeah, it seems like expectations low of this team. And they don't uh, have as big a rivalry with Poland as I had hoped, because I was hoping that was going to be a big rivalry hyped up game. But... Not so much. Sorry to burst the bubble. One more question for you, gents, before we head off on this episode. Um, how do we think this group's going to shake out? I've already made it clear that I think uh, Slovakia will uh, uh, support the group from the bottom upwards, shall we say? Uh, do we feel, Taylor, that Spain are going to top it and it's going to be Sweden and Poland battling it for second? Yeah, I, I think that's probably about right. I would not be surprised if Spain struggle against Sweden because of the men- the reasons that Graham mentioned combined with Spain. Like, I think they, they do score big goals, like they scored six against Germany, as I mentioned, but then they also have some nil-nil draws, some one-to-one draws, so there are times when they struggle, especially against teams that are going to sit back and defend and be very defensive and resolute and good in the air. Could cause some problems, so we might see Poland topping the group after the first match day. I do think Spain ends up winning it. I do think, unfortunately for you, Ryan, I apologize, and your made-up friend, uh, that Slovakia <laughs> will 
finish bottom. And it probably does come down to the final day of games because we've got Slovakia, Spain, and then Sweden versus Poland uh, on the final match day of this group. So that one being in St. Petersburg as well, I think it's it's going to be a neutral one. But whoever wins that one, I think finishes second. Graham, do you concur? Um, Spain top. I'm going to go Sweden second purely because Poland have burned me before in major tournaments when I've said they're going to be great Mm -hmm. and then they fail to get out of the group stages or even um, like when they make the quarterfinals they should go further. So I'm going to say Sweden second, Poland third, Slovakia fourth. Having said that, one of the things that has dawned on me in this chat is just how much disruption COVID could cause. (laughs) And uh, I'm envisaging the sort of Brendan Rodgers routine with the three envelopes, every manager doing that before the start of the tournament. But instead of players that are going to let them down in the envelopes, it's the names of players who are going to get COVID (laughs) and be ruled out of the whole tournament. Um, So I'm just fearful that we're we're going to get a lot of COVID tests and I really hope that doesn't happen. But it's okay, Graham, because Sergio Busquets only has like minor symptoms that's how it was reported don't worry about it it's fine also oh, just got covid a little bit not, not yeah, just a little bit COVID. just a little bit a little baby bit <laughs> that's good that's good to hear uh I, I think i pretty much agree with your ranking there graham and your reasoning as well joe any any different feelings to that i want to be a little edgy here just because i feel like i've gone chalk with all of the other previews that we've done all the other group predictions yes joe i'm gonna go yes. i'm gonna go sweden tops oh. i don't I don't know how likely that is to happen, but I'm going to Sweden tops, Poland second, and Spain getting into the next round in the third place. Game Slovakia (laughs) bottom. Sorry. Sorry, Ryan. And sorry to Jan Gregush, Minnesota United legend, free kick take. He's not a legend, but he he does take a nice free kick. I just think I'm obligated to include every uh, European-based MLS player, so that's that's what I'm doing. (laughs) On that note, Gustav Svensson plays for Sweden, and now we've got our former MLS player mentioned as well. I love Gustav Svensson. He's so good. Anyway, I, I, I think... I think this group could look a little different. It could look a little funky, and my way of expressing that is to go Sweden, Poland, Spain, Slovakia. Are you suggesting Spain won't get a win, Joe? Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, Ryan. I kind of feel like uh, Clint Dempsey with the calculator right now. <laughs> I'm not sure how the math would need to turn out for that to happen. But, I mean, they could they could get three points and still finish third, right? They could get a win over Slovakia and then lose the other two. Hang on, I'm just running that through my Clint Dempsey calculator. Boop, boop, beep, boop, boop. <laughs> yep, that works. Yep. Perfect. Yep, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> All oh, right, I'm so then. excited for Joe to get to experience uh, getting burned by Poland at a major international competition. It's going to be great. Gonna I, be feel great. Like it's, I feel like it's going to be a real opportunity for me to become this grizzled podcaster. <laughs> yep. Is that like, I didn't realize that was a criteria, but now all of a sudden, all, I, all I've been missing is just Poland crashing out. Yep, that's, that's all it. I'm missing. That's, that's what okay. moves you to that next level. That is correct. Who's, uh, by, by the end of this tournament, Joe, I imagine you're going to have a beard like Taylor's and bags under your eyes like mine. Then you'll be grizzled. Yeah, yeah my, my head's going to be shaved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be cursing about Butland. My head will be shaved. I'll have the beard. Ryan, I might have like a half British accent just to emulate you in, the, in this way. I'll start rhyming randomly. It's going to be a big it's going to be a big tournament for me. Well, just don't go the vice way. Don't don't start having nightclub incidents and alcohol fueled driving or anything like that. <laughs> Joe, we don't need that. Okay. <sighs> You're right. You're right, Ryan. Thank you for that wisdom. <laughs> thank you very much, Joseph Larry. It's been a pleasure having you on this here podcast. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Right back at you. Graham Rutherford, always a pleasure, never a chore. You stole exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say always a pleasure. So right back at you, Ryan. <laughs> and Taylor, uh, y- I was trying to think of what you'd say. Uh, I mean, that's fine. I'm confused because Graham stole my right back at you. So now I don't know what to do either. Everyone's stealing everybody's stuff. I'm just going to say... <laughs> Ryan, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day until we speak again in five minutes.
Oh, thank you so much. Group F preview coming up after this one. Thank you very much, guys. Bye! Bye!